Right. We're, well, we're still continuing with our series of um, church life. This week we'll be talking about the spiritual gifts. But um, before I do that, I do want to spend um, a big chunk of the introduction of this message to tie up some loose ends from our last one. And by the way, if you do want to remember what we spoke about, what we've been going through, if you missed out or you've forgotten, please go back. I would encourage you to listen to the previous messages. And if you have any questions, you can come. Feel free to come and talk to me further about them. But what I want to do for now in the introduction, I want to drive the goal of the previous message home. Serving the local church is not an option. And then after I do this, I'm going to zoom in on to the spiritual gifts, narrow down our focus by persuading all of us that if we truly want to live to the glory of God, if this is our heart desire, then serving the local church by exercising our spiritual gifts, not an option. Well, as I said last week, And if you recall, that if we ever want to have this real spirit-filled, this supernatural grace, fulfilling, satisfying life, it's not enough to say, I go to church. Not enough to even say superficially that I'm committed to the church. That commitment cannot be in a passive way. It's got to be active. It's got to be out of love, practical sacrifices, as well as a display of Jesus' affections to one another. To whom? To specifically those that are blood-bought, adopted children of God in this local church. Simply put, lovingly serving a local church is not an option if we ever want to experience this heartfelt, unspeakable joy of the Lord. You know, brothers, there is a misconception among many, many, many Christians, a misconception on what it means to live a holy life. And so some say, ah, if I just don't lie, if I speak the truth, if I don't steal by give out of my money, and if I stay out of trouble, this is holiness. And then they think they can go on and live in their own little island, in a, in a forest or a jungle somewhere like a Tarzan without brethren to servingly, loving, lovingly serve them. And yet, when, when they exercise all these virtues, they think they can grow in holiness. Again, without lovingly serving brethren. No way. That is not true. That is not what holiness is. You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, let me read to you. 
what it says. Paul says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Well, this is not stealing. You've got to make sure you don't steal. But in what context is he saying this specifically? He's not talking about husbands must not steal from their wives, like stealing their makeup or dresses, shoes. No. Nor is it specifically talking about general kind of stealing. In fact, if you read it carefully, and it's in context of how it is of how we ought to relate to one another. Why? Because it is flowing all the way up from verse 3, where it says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. This is one way of preserving the unity of the Spirit. Another thing, the fruit of the Spirit. We know about him when we look at man, at a man or a woman and we say, wow, he's, he's, he has the fruit of the Spirit in him. There's love, there's joy, there's peace and kindness. And we say, where would he get the fruit of the Spirit from? Galatians 5 verse 22-23. But do you know that if you read the fruit of the Spirit in context, what we discover is that in the mind of the Apostle Paul, the fruit of the Spirit has to do with Christian attitude towards one another. It is towards how we ought to relate to one another. In fact, do you, do you know that every time, every single time, we're commanded to live a holy life in all the epistles, the New Testament epistles. It is always, without fail, in the context of how believers ought to relate to one another in a local church. Now, lest you misunderstand me and you take it too far, does that mean you can go and steal from other people who are not, here, who are not part of this local church? Or does that mean it's okay to um, extortion or to defraud people or to lie to them? Of course not. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, if you don't steal, if you don't lie, if you do all these wonderful things, if you exercise these virtues that we spoke about, only so far as to relate to those that are outside of the church, who don't belong to the body of Christ, and those virtues are not going to reach your own brothers in Christ in this local church, then I say and I stand upon with all love and all care. I stand upon the word of God and I say to you, you have not yet obeyed any of these commands. You haven't yet started living a holy life. 
nor biblically exercise this, the fruit of the Spirit. If you're only joyful and exercise goodness and long-suffering to mom, dad, brother, sister, husband, and wife, but you do not bring them over here and you exercise them among your one another, to find men and women who belong to your local church and exercise them, you haven't really exercised the fruit of the Spirit yet. Because they are all in context of serving and relating to the local body, the local church, the body of Christ. Why is this so? Why? Why does the scripture again and again emphasize and highlight and underscores the significance of exercising those commands among one another, serving the local church? Why? I want to peel off the layer of service and I want to present to you the heart behind that service. I want to help you to see the mechanics why this is the case. You know, when a person has become born again, one thing that he's sold out to do is to want to grow in his love for God. Right? He will do anything. He would pay any price if he could just grow in his love for God. This is, by the way, the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not the works of man. The Holy Spirit places Christ on the stage as the centerpiece of our lives. And you, and we may get distracted from this, absolutely. And we may, you know, focus on some background audience and, and trials. But nonetheless, Jesus Christ is the hero of our new heart. He is our champion. Always. If you don't have any love for Christ, what I'm saying right now makes no sense to you. It would not. But if you're born again, then your heart ought not to get enough of this reality. You would want to drink it and immediately you feel thirsty and you want to hear more of this truth again and again. Why? Because to enjoy Christ, to love Him, is your DNA of your new heart. Because you have become aware that you belong to Him. And when you continue to grow to know Him in this manner... You keep on saying, Christ, I want to be used by you. I want this to be the, the, what marks my life is to be used by you. Now that's this, this same earnest inclination towards Jesus. We have towards one another. We ought to have towards one another. You can look at your brethren together and you can say with, with all of your heart, 
I love you. I love all of you. You can say that. And you love them with a special kind of love. Not because they're somehow better than other people. But because the Spirit of God testifies to you and in you that together they make up the body of Christ. That Christ dwells in them as He is dwelling in you. And so because you love Christ, you love not only the brethren in and of themselves, but you also love Christ in them. You know that they have the same DNA as yours. You know they have the same new nature as your nature. And so you lovingly serve the brethren as though you are serving Christ. Don't take my word for it. We read the scripture and we find this in the word of God. Matthew 25 verse 40. Jesus says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Matthew 10 verse 40. Jesus says, whoever receives you receives me. Verse 42, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, that is service, because he is a disciple. What does the word disciple mean 2,000 years ago? Well, now what it means is a Christian. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Because serving Jesus Christ out of love and joy for him is the only cry of our new heart. Therefore, serving the local church, i.e. the the body of Christ out of love and joy is not an option. These are the nuts and bolts, the spiritual mechanics of why we ought to do what we do. And this is the heart behind why serving those body, those people that belong to the body of Christ is something that we are lovingly obligated to obey. Now we close a chapter on this and we open a new chapter and we want to zoom in on spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts, you find them mentioned in many different places. Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, 1 Corinthians 12, there's Ephesians 4, we'll look at it today. What are the spiritual gifts? Just a few things quickly to note before we dive deeper into our discussion. Number one, we need to understand that spiritual gifts are supernatural abilities. You know, when you watch Marvel movies, 
all these superheroes with superpowers and people watch their characters and, and what are, how do they feel when they see this, I don't know, Iron Man just and flying and, or, or what's his name, Captain America when, you know, nothing happens to him when he gets punched. And he said, oh, they're blown away by, by those superpowers. Well, the spiritual gifts are like superhero powers, but in a spiritual sense, if you like. Some gifts are verbal, others are practical. Some are to do with preaching and teaching, others administration and acts of mercy. Some gifts are to lead and others to encourage others to, to be led. All kinds of varieties of spiritual gifts. And they're all supernatural. Well, number two, these gifts are different from natural abilities. We're not talking about talents or skills. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts. You're not born with them. You are born again with them. Meaning you receive them at the point of your conversion. Another thing that we need to know about the spiritual gifts is that, and that is the best part of it, I believe, is that every single believer graciously received that unique fingerprint, snowflake, if you like, of a gift that nobody else has. And now we're grateful for this. Now, how do we show that we are grateful, that we have spiritual gifts? Exactly. God didn't give each one of us spiritual gifts to show off with them, to abuse them, but to use them. So it's not just to say, ah, thank you, God, you've given me a spiritual gift, and then you put it in a pickle container, and you, you store it somewhere, and you never use it, but to use it. And if you truly want to glorify God in your life, then my I go even further and beyond this and to say, then using your spiritual gift is not an option. If you want to glorify God in your life, it is not just about generally serving the brethren, but it's about exercising your spiritual gift as you serve the brethren. And that is not an option. Now, someone might say, well, you keep on saying not an option, not an option. It's just, why strong language? Why are you putting that thing on me that I have to comply with, you know, serving, using my gift, as though if I don't, I'm not really obeying God. Why? Why is this the case? First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. 
First Peter 4.10. Peter says, As each one has received a special gift, that's a spiritual gift, what do you have to do? Employ it in serving one another. Why is it that using your spiritual gift to serve the body of Christ is not an option? Very simple. Number one, because it's a divine command. It's an order from the Most High. And if it's a command, then it's not an option. Right? And look who this command is given to. First three words, as each one. That is to say, all the members that make up the body, right? Look who that command is given in order to serve who? Serving one another. Not the outer community. Not your children. God is not expecting me to stand behind a pulpit and say to my wife, sit down, I'm going to preach to you the word of God. Exercise those gifts to one another. Not saying I shouldn't be teaching the word of God at home, but God commands me here to exercise my spiritual gift, and so also he commands each one of us to exercise his spiritual gift to one another. And please note, there is no fine print to this command. No one is exempted. It doesn't say, uh, well, if you reach the age of 80, then it's really up to you whether to disobey or to obey this command. No problem at all. There are, no, there is no retirement age. Surely, of course, you, you obey again, like what we said last week, within your own capacity. For sure. But to disobey, to be lethargic, to know that you have a gift and you don't use it. Are you really glorifying God in your life? Right? To what purpose then has Christ given you this gift? Right? To use it. That is his purpose for giving you that gift. Right. So number one, the reason why it's not an option, it is because it's a command. It's as simple as that, right? Number two, please turn to Ephesians 4. The reason why serving the church using our gift is not an option, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We were there last week. We'll, we'll go back to it this week again. Verse 11, and here what I want to do again, I want to persuade you, I want to convince you and exhort you to use your spiritual gifts. Now, the church, the scripture tells us, and you can, you can look at as this illustration it is, it is like a hospital for spiritually sick people, for the brokenhearted. Okay? It's a hospital. Look, Ephesians 4.11, it says, And he gave 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. These are gifts, some of gifts. And, and why did he do that in verse 12? To equip the saints. What does that mean? What is the implication? Saints are unequipped without those gifts. Then continues on for building up the body of Christ. It's for the building up. The gifts are given in order to build up the body of Christ. Well, what is the implication? That without exercising those gifts, the body of Christ in its current state is unbuilt. It's deficient. Right? God does not give gifts just as a bonus. They're necessity. But we need to understand that because of the remnant sin, the body of Christ lacks love vitamins. The, the viral infection of pride affected our eyesight from beholding the beauty of Christ. For some of us, the lust of the flesh infected our taste buds that we're no longer able to taste the sweetness of the intimacy with our Lord. That's why we need each one to administer his spiritual gift to one another so we can be healed. Why? Because we are all sick. Sin causes sickness to the believers. You know, the Bible does teach us unbelievers are like walking zombies. Believers, on the other hand, are sick people, constantly needs nourishment, fulfillment, and healing. You see, when Christians are entering into the church, you know what they're entering into? A hospital. And when they get out of the church and they walk out, you know what they walk out into? A cemetery. That's the point. This is the life we live until Jesus comes back and takes us home. Now, when a sick Christian enters into fellowship with one another, guess who the doctors are? Verse 7. You don't have to guess. You can check. You can read. But, again, we, say, we, saw, we saw this earlier. To each one of us, grace was given. It's the word grace is the word gift, charisma, spiritual gifts. So who are the doctors of this hospital? The pastor? A group of elders? Perhaps some elite Christians uh, that form a holy club? Who? Every member in a local church is a consultant in this hospital. So in one hand, every Christian is sick, yes, because sin still dwells in his flesh. And yet God adorned the church by giving every believer that belongs to this church a unique blend of spiritual gifts. Why? To administer the right remedy on the sick and the brokenhearted. 
You know what this means? We're all in, interdependent on one another. I need you, you need me, we are in need of one another. Now, imagine this. Imagine a heart surgeon <clears throat> goes to the hospital and he says, you know what, I don't feel like doing heart surgery today. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the hospitals, I love um, helping patients, I want them to get well, but I just don't want to um, get my hands dirty with blood and sleepless nights and, and all the rest of it, you know. Imagine, imagine a doctor would say this. <laughs> what do you think of such a foolish doctor if he would say, well, what's the alternative? Well, I'm just going to help those patients who have eye problems, you know, on the other side of the hospital. I'm just going to clean, I don't know, their eyeballs and operate on their eyes. Are we even able to imagine the extent of the disaster that will come out of this selfish man when he thinks this way? Think of all the patients that have heart problems who, who came to the hospital because they're in a desperate need for help and they got nothing because this doctor happened to be busy doing stuff that, God, that, that, that he was not meant to do in this analogy. What about all the damage you would have inflicted upon those poor patients that have eye problems? Probably many of them that would have come out of the hospital worse than when they entered in, right? And, and wouldn't you agree that no matter how hard this doctor would have worked in, on the eyes of those patients, it would be useless in this hospital, right? I'm going to take this further and would say huh, that worse than this, because all those untreated patients are also doctors in that same hospital, think of the collateral damage. How messy would this hospital be because one person didn't want to serve the way he was meant to? Is this how we want our church to be like, this beautiful church? You see, brethren, if... If we ever want to be healed and grow, look what it says in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, meaning if we want to grow in our vision to, to the full-blown beauty of our Savior, that matchless, wonderful King of ours, it says here, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, meaning the abundance of Christ. If you want to have a healthy heart, intoxicated with loving your Savior, if you want to have good eyesight, good vision, to be able to behold the glory of Christ, what have we got to do? We've got to earnestly, sacrificially administer our spiritual gifts to, to one another. 
You see, the church is a hospital and God is the one that gave each one specific profession in this hospital. He employed us in this hospital to do a particular job. And it would be insane not to serve the church using our gifts. Why? Just because we don't feel comfortable. Again, another analogy given in Ephesians. <clears throat> the local church, again, like we said many times, is like the body of Christ. Look uh, halfway through verse 15 where it says, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, verse 16, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In other words, in this illustration, what it depicts is that we as members are the body and Jesus is our head. When you decided to belong to this local church, something supernaturally happened. You know what happened? The Spirit of God handpicked you and turned you into a specific organ that functions in a specific way. Whether an eye or an ear, a mouth, a toe, and then he transplanted you into the local church where, you, where the church now can no longer function properly without your sacrificial commitment to it in a very specific way. Let's have a look at it again. Verse 15, where it says, We are to grow into Christ. And how do we grow? How, according to this, do we grow? Last bit of verse 16 where it says, according to or when, according to the proper working of each one, each individual part. What happens causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Imagine a mouth decides to chew. And what is it, what is it expecting the stomach to do? To digest. But imagine the stomach decides not to function as a stomach. It refuses to digest the food. It feels like it wants to be an eye or it feels like it wants to be vocal cords and it wants to sing. Well, guess what happens? You will start burbing. Because <laughs> that's the best um, noise your stomach can create. And then what happens to our growth? To the growth of the body? It's stale. If we're not committed in serving one another, using our spiritual gifts the growth of the body will be stunned. It will not grow. 
My growth will, will slow if any of those who belong to this local church will not serve using his spiritual gift. And so is the growth of everyone else and you yourself would be useless, ineffective in God's kingdom. The bottom line is no one will win. No one. You know, I've received a, a message from, from a dear sister of ours that she shared how she's been affected by the teaching and the preaching and she's thanking God for her growth. And I thank God for this. There's nothing that would make me more joyful is to know that people are growing. But imagine if each member is committed to exercise his gift in this way. Not just a few, not the minority, but each one serves the local church in his giftedness. The sky is the lim- is limit, is our limit to what God, how God would use us. Will God bring our unsaved family members to saving faith? Will God bring revival? Will the gospel go Far and wide through this local body, perhaps. We don't know. But one thing we know for sure is that we will grow in our satisfaction in knowing Jesus in a very real and practical way. We will rejoice with unspeakable joy. Because we will be found useful for God. Who wouldn't want his life to be like this? Who? To be part of a local church. We would, where we would be sacrificially giving of our time, money, and effort, pouring our lives to God through serving the brethren. What satisfaction in Christ? What eternal rewards? What crowns we will be receiving from Him if we're committed this way? So at the end, just a few questions, and I want to be able to answer them. As a way of concluding this message. Does that mean I can't serve in any other way except using my spiritual gift? You know, like, you know, if I'm gifted in evangelism, does that mean I can't clean the kitchen? No, that's not what we're saying. If you want to clean the kitchen, please go ahead. Clean the kitchen. That's very good. But all that we're saying is, if you're gifted in evangelism, let's say, then it's your privilege, it is your responsibility to use this gift and edify the church with that. And if cleaning the kitchen comes against or at the expense of using your gift of evangelism, then what do you have to do? Evangelize, then go and clean the kitchen. (laughs) How do I know what my spiritual gifts are, or my, my spiritual gift is? How do we know? And how do I grow in this spiritual gift? Good questions? That's for next week.
next week. But I want to leave you with the last question. What do you think the number one thing that hinders us from exercising our spiritual gifts? The one thing, the most common thing, you know what it is? Let's face it, it is us. It is you. It is the passions in our flesh that run contrary to God's will. That is the one common thing that hinders God's people from exercising their spiritual gifts. For example, pride. Let's say someone, his name is Alex, not our Alex, some Alex, and he, God blessed him, God graced him with a gift of encouragement. And there is Jesse in our church. And Jesse's desperate need for that, for encouragement. But pride drives Alex to pursue something else, something greater. What is this encouraging person on the side? I want the mic. I want to be under the spotlight. And so he pursues other gifts that God has never given him in the first place. Why? To impress other people. So what does he do? He tries to teach, for example. And what would the result be? Jesse, who's crying out for encouragement, will continue to suffer lack of encouragement. Why? Because Alex is too busy trying to be someone that God never called him to be. Pride. And pride can come in a form of envy. And we've got to watch out from these brothers. You can imagine Martha and Mary. Okay? Martha and Mary. Both of them, let's say, have the gift of wisdom. But God, in his providence, graced Mary with greater measure of wisdom than Martha. And Martha now is kind of envious of Mary. How can she have greater gift of wisdom? So what does, what does Martha do? She pushes her way. She tries to rise up. She competes to outperform Mary with that gift because she's trying to prove that she's better than Mary. How ugly. Do we think that God would bless a church? that would say, yes, I'm willing to serve, but with that kind of attitude? No way. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this, brothers, because we must understand that we're never meant to have our satisfaction or identity rooted in our gifts or the measure of those gifts. But our identity must be rooted in the giver of this gift. Because it's not about your gift, it's about the giver. We serve the local church. We exercise our spiritual gift 
because they are given by the giver for the glory of the giver. Let us not lose focus on this. So at the end, I want to ask you, how are you going with this, brothers and sisters? Let us examine ourselves. Are you serving the local church? Are you serving the brethren? No, not just that. But are you serving the brethren using the spiritual gifts that God has given you? Let us reflect. Let us think about this and meditate. What's hindering you, brother? What is hindering you, sister? From exercising your spiritual gift. Is it money chasing after? Is it relationships that God never intended for you to have? Is it pride? You want to be someone that God never called you to be? What is it? Reflect. Think about this. You know something? Let's just finish with that. I want to go back and speak about the mechanic, the heart of service. And you know, because you are given this new heart that loves the Lord Jesus. Just like your brother and your sister who are among you. With this heart that loves the Lord. The more you want to get to know that Lord. Do you know what your heart cry would be? As I said earlier, your hands are wide open and you say to him, God, you're so good to me. Use me. Use me, God. And you know when you say use me, God, you know what you're saying? You're saying, I'm, I want to commit to serve. But you shouldn't just say use me, God. You should not and stop there. That's not right, brothers. You know what you should say? If you truly are filled with the Spirit of God and you love the Lord so much that you want to be at His own disposal, then you ought to climb even higher and you say to Him, God, use me the way you want, not the way I want. Right? Not how I want to be used. I don't get to pick and choose the cross I bear, Lord. You choose the cross. You tell me, you dictate to me, you lead the way <clears throat> in my service. And do you know what you're saying when you pray this prayer? You're saying you want to be committed to serve, the, to serve God the way he chooses. And you know how you know the way he chooses? By knowing that spiritual gift he's given you, right? He won't give you a spiritual gift to have mercy on people, gift of mercy, so that you, you can go and do something else. So if you are really going to pray to God and say to him, God, use me the way you choose, not the way I choose, then exercising your spiritual gift is not an option. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Your word is clear. 
and how we ought to function within his community is crystal clear as a sunlight. And we humbly admit, Lord, that the reason why we're not functioning as we're meant to, it's because of us. It's because of our passions that are still in our flesh. You're such a gracious God. You bear with us and you lead us step by step. You're the great physician, and we are all sick people. But what a lovely thing to know that you're still patient with us, and you're helping us along the way to grow in serving you your way. Thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.